Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host of this show and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has been made possible by a generous grant that we received so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in Christian Living Magazine. I am so excited to have my good friend and our editor, Gabe Anderson, join me in studio today. Hey, Gay. Hello, Sandy. I, I stole your line. You're the one who always says, hey. <laughs> it's great to have you. I'm so glad you're joining me today. I'm glad, too. And I'm glad Kathy's here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not just Gay and I. Today, our guest is Kathy Carlson, formerly of Mission Aviation Fellowship and currently with Paraclete Mission Group. Kathy comes alongside missionaries and ministry leaders to help them in their work of taking the gospel message globally. She has had a diverse career, previously working as a school teacher and later as a director of communications for an international firm. She brings a ver- varied set of skills to her service at Paraclete. She's been to over 30 countries. I'm so impressed. I love to travel. Serving the Lord in many ways, including counseling others in emotional, relational, and spiritual health. She has a servant's heart and has faithfully followed God's call to go where He leads her and has been to such places as China, Lebanon, and Jordan. Oh my gosh, I'm so impressed. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a gift to be here with you. I'll bless you. How how are you? I am well. I am delighted that spring is here, and um, I love the fact that the weather changes every five minutes in Idaho, so I think it's great. (laughs) Spring is one of my favorite times of year. I get that. So you've been to over 30 countries, and like I said, I I love to travel, but um, Mexico is the only foreign country I've ever been to. (laughs) Um, I have flown across the ocean, but um, so I'm I'm just in awe. Where did you go if you flew across the ocean? I went to Maui. Okay. <laughs> I I went to Maui. It was a gift. My 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 husband's former boss sent us the first time we went. We've been we've we've been back, but our first trip was a gift from his employer, and it was just really a cool experience. So, thirty countries. Do you have any favorite places? You know, I love that question because then I get to give this answer, which just delights my heart every time. There is something in every country that it's hard for me to say goodbye to. So the gift for me, because I love culture, I love seeing how culture shapes and forms us. I love seeing beautiful aspects of culture and even the heartbreaking aspects. So every country I go to, I see something that beautifully represents the heart of God and things that I think break the heart of God. And invariably, I always leave a little piece of my heart in every country And I come home missing food and people (laughs) from every location. My heart particularly, Guy, the journey of travel for me um, began really in my first year of college, um, actually first or second year, a friend asked if I wanted to go to Europe with her. And I said no. I was terrified. I had no desire to go overseas. All I could imagine was being stuck and not knowing a language and not being able to ask for help or toilet tissue or anything else. And what would I do? And so I said, no, she wound up not going a year later. She asked me. And for whatever reason, I said yes. Yay. And it was my first time overseas and it was to Western Europe and did several countries. 
And I just began to fall in love. I never envisioned that my I would have a missionary career. That's been a surprise. And then all the other travel has been a surprise as well. That's awesome. It's it's I have been very involved with the bucket ministry, which is a water, a clean water ministry that does a lot of work. They they work all over the world, but they do a lot of work in Kenya. And I noticed in in your we have a story about you in our current issue of Christian Living Magazine. And I noticed in in reading that that you have spent some time in Kenya. And, you know, it's um I have made friends through the bucket ministry. I have not been, but I have made friends there. And even not having been there, I have friends and have this desire. So I can relate with your every country leaves a little yeah. bit of you and it's hard to leave each time. Yeah. That's that's so cool. Have you ever felt like you were in any danger? Um, yes. Uh, it was very interesting when I started to travel for work, for mission work in 2003. Uh, my first trip was to Russia and then on to Kazakhstan from there. And it's not that those locations were particularly dangerous at the time, but um, where we were, I was headed into in Kazakhstan, there were some religious freedom issues. And so um, carrying Bible material or training material, and that's what I was doing. I was part of a team at Mission Aviation Fellowship that was helping uh, provide training to pastors and church leaders in isolated contexts. And so um, heading over, well, I'll say that the flight from Russia into Kazakhstan was a thrill because it was a very tiny airplane and not all the panels were on the inside. So it was my first opportunity to see the wiring inside of an airplane. Wow. <laughs> and then... Um, I can't imagine the, that. <laughs> it, was, it was exciting. I took a number of um, CDs that were loaded with uh, Bible reference and training content. Mm -hmm. And I watched, I had been given a heads up that there might be an issue with that and how I needed to respond at customs if that was the case. And I was fascinated. The man in front of me had all of his luggage searched. The person behind me had all of their luggage searched after, and everyone's luggage got x-rayed. They didn't touch mine. Wow. And I had about 50 CDs. So it wasn't that you couldn't bring in a few. You could bring in a few things, but they didn't want anything with volume to it. And I had about 50 CDs of Christian reference material. And it just went right through. Um, and then there were some issues leaving the country. I stayed in another missionary's apartment. And um, there had been some break-ins uh, prior to my arrival into expat homes. And so I had been warned against answering the door if I got a knock at an unusual time. And the morning of my departure, I was set to leave at about 2 a.m. Um, a friend was coming to pick me up. But about two hours before that, there was a knock at the door and some voices outside. Mm. And I took a peek around the corner through the little peephole and could see some people kind of waiting for me to open the door and um, do I'm not sure what. So I just stayed quietly. And there have been a few other instances in different places, uh, but... The Lord has really been very loving in keeping me safe. That's great. So, Gay, you're sitting over there so quiet. Do you have do you have questions for Well, of course I do. You know, uh, this is really a great opportunity for me to get to know Kathy a little better because I know her husband, Brad, really well. Who has written for us yeah, occasionally. Brad yeah. has written for us. We're so appreciative of that. Yeah, he does a great job. And, um, you know, we had two interviews for the story I was going to do on her, in, or, or did do. And she's very quotable. And so I had to take some of those really great quotes out. So I thought I'd bring them up again today and have <laughs> you sort of, have you sort of um, maybe expound on them a little bit sure. better. 
This was really a great one. You said at one point in your own view of Christianity and the Bible, you realized it had been highly influenced by Nike's Just Do It and Yoda's Do or Not Do, There Is No Try, which sounds like in a very very American perspective. Was that a self-sufficiency thing or... Anyway, could you explain that a little better? I can. <laughs> it's so true. I, in my um, early 30s and then again in my early 40s, really began to wrestle. Honestly, it was when I started working in full-time ministry. Um, so I didn't start into full-time ministry until I was 32, almost mm-hmm. 33. And um, stepping into, although I'd done different kinds of ministry work through my life, you know, part-time and volunteer things, Stepping into full-time ministry and really seeing the amount of pain that people wrestle with and, and struggle with, and how do we unpack all of that? And I realized, even for my own heart, as I began to experience some things, that there was a part of me that just kind of kept gritting my teeth and doubling down. Like the way you keep going is you just try harder. Mm-hmm. You demonstrate your obedience to God by going, you know, I joke by, you know, little kids who when you spank them and go, doesn't hurt. <laughs> that that's the kind of what we had been in my, the way that my ears had heard a lot of Christian guidance was mm-hmm. that demonstrate your obedience to the Father by just gritting it out through the pain. And yeah. this is how you show your love. And so realizing, um, honestly, here's a confession. I, for a long time, thought the Psalms were kind of for the people who couldn't get their act together and couldn't find their bootstraps and pull them up, which is so very American culture, very independent. And there's a high value. I joke, you know, my family's very loving. We have a high value on doing your homework and um, doing your best. So partly for me, my best as a firstborn over-responsible daughter (laughs) is to just keep keep going. You just keep going and caring for people. And I'm naturally wired to care for people. So um, you just do it. You know what the next right thing is. You just do it. You know, and Yoda, do or do not. There is no try. You, of course, you do everything in your power to live the Christian life well. And I have a very different view about that now, that absolutely we are called to live it well and to live it fully but that God's comfort plays a huge part in that for us on this broken side of heaven. Wow. I thought I was the only one who heard Yoda subliminally. (laughs) Do or do not. (laughs) Well, see, I'm a very needy person, so the self-sufficiency, I don't really want to be self-sufficient. Is that okay? That is glorious. That is that it takes all kinds. God programmed us all differently. That, Absolutely. that he did. One of the longer quotes was uh, when we wake up in the morning and our feet hit the floor, we're more compelled by fear, guilt, and shame than love. Love that is deeper, wider, and higher than we can imagine. Now that's pretty good in and of itself. Later on in, in that space you said, We were not set up for failure, but to do the things the way God does them. Now, that sounds like a pretty tall order. So how do we deal with that? How do we handle that? I, wow, tall order question. But it's a great one because I think it's the crux of what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. If we're made in the image of God and by, being, by saying, I don't think we're set up for failure, that chance to kind of revisit the garden, to revisit Genesis before Genesis 3 happens mm-hmm. and everything is so deeply broken 
If we have a really clear picture of the full environment of Eden, I think, before the fall, then it lets us realize what really happened at the fall. And I have said for years that, you know, for a long time I had kind of this flannel graph image of of the fall, for those of us who remember flannel graphs, (laughs) that, you know, here's this little flannel graph of Adam and Eve before they partake of the fruit, and then here's them sad after they do it, here's God upset, and here's them leaving the garden, and now we need Jesus to get us back to God. But that really the only depth of it was sin. It was done in, you know, the, the the real loss was that we weren't doing the right things anymore. We weren't behaving properly. And I will just say for me, behavior change is now, it's kind of the lowest hanging fruit for me when it comes to discipleship or heart change. All through scripture, God is so passionate about the condition of our hearts. The behavior is an outflow of that. But looking at Genesis before the fall, there was high connection, high emotional, relational connectivity, Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve enjoying one another, enjoying making culture. They were making culture. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, naming and caring for animals. They were raising plants. They were enjoying God's providence and safety. They were enjoying walking with the Lord. And so if you imagine the most rich emotional and relational setting you can, you know, I always say, can you imagine not ever having to say, is that what you meant by that? Yeah. Or I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. (laughs) That there is full understanding and safety. Then the loss at the fall is huge. We have lost connection to our own hearts, to one another, to creation, and to the Lord. And so the gospel's job, God is so thorough. He doesn't put bandages over bullet holes. He's so thorough. His restoration is for all of those aspects. And a chance to really unpack and invite that into every area of our lives Mm -hmm. um, beyond the outer candy shell of the (laughs) Mm M&M, deep into the heart of it, I just think is what the Lord really intended all along as he shapes us into his image more and more. His image lives inside us. And as he continues to transform and cultivate that, that for me is being invited to do the things that God values and the things that he prizes and treasures, his high kingdom values of forgiveness, trust, culture building, love, modeling his deep, deep, genuine rescue and care. Is she a good communicator or what? You know, I'm sitting here listening and I'm, and I'm reflecting on a conversation I had earlier today. And we, and we were talking about so many, um, in some ways, myself included, were raised with an angry God. And yes, he's jealous. And yes, he's commanding. And, and yes, the Holy Scripture tells us there, there are things that are an abomination to the Lord. But he is kind and loving. And his mercies are forever new. And just like a parent's. You know, and and so many times people are looking for that angry God, and it's that loving, merciful, gentle God, and that's I think that's what I envy. When I when I reflect back on Genesis, on Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. I'm like, you walked and talked and communed with God. You had a genuine, right, easily tangible relationship, and what a marvelous! I love I love your take on it. Um, you know what? Unfortunately, you took kind of one of my questions I was going to ask. But you did say, I love culture. It's an unspoken language about what we love and what we do. And I found that very interesting. When I hear the word, 
word culture, I think of the opera or the mm-hmm. theater or mm-hmm. the arts. <laughs> you did touch on that a little bit. Well, could you possibly ex- expand uh, on that concept? Yeah, I, um, I'm i amazed that I love culture like I do. And in fact, I was watching um, something last night that was about something happening in a different part of the world. And I, I just sat with the Lord in it to say, how did, how did you do this to me? Was this always planted in me? Because I didn't imagine being a missionary. I was not the second grader that raised her hand and said, send me to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I, I came to it in a much different route. And so this love of it, I think it, it does speak to how I'm wired because I care so deeply for people. The way that you said it, culture is often, you know, I'm a school teacher by trade, my background. Culture is often the hidden curriculum. There's anytime you go into a school setting, there's the overt curriculum. There are the things that are on the syllabus that you know you're going to learn. Then there's a hidden curriculum. There's a set of things that you learn because you're just seeing it. You can feel the expectations. Oh, this is how we line up. Oh, this is how quiet this particular restaurant is or a cafe. Oh, this is how I am to dress here. And so culture has both aspects of that, the, the, the easily seen part and then the hidden part. So if you think of culture like an iceberg, you know, and mm-hmm. we all know that three quarters of the iceberg is under the water, that top part that we can see is the stuff that we can easily see. It's clothing and music and different ways to dress and um, different kinds of food. And like you said, Gay, that, you know, sometimes you hear culture and we think of it as this kind of elevated lofty thing, you know, mm-hmm. the, the cultured crowd. And, but culture, the three quarters of it, the weight of it is under the water, but it is such a driver. Culture tells us what's valuable and what's not. Culture tells us how we gain worth. Culture tells us how we stay safe. Culture tells us what's funny, what our ideas of modesty and beauty are. And it just goes on and on. So, you know, I saw a movie in a theater with some friends in Thailand many years ago. And it was a Sylvester Stallone movie that had been dubbed in Thai. So I'm listening to Sylvester Stallone speak Thai. and But I'm reading the, um, the English subtitles on the screen. And there may be six Westerners in the theater. The rest of the theater is full of Thai people. And it was hilarious because we all laughed in different places. <laughs> so there's six Westerners. We'd read some line and we would crack up. Something that we didn't think was funny at all hadn't occurred to us. All of a sudden, the rest of the audience erupts in laughter. And so these little tastes of moments where you go, what's at play here? What makes that happen? And so for me, particularly when it comes to the heart of God, I think there's a supra culture that God Mm -hmm. has, Mm S-U-P-R-A, this overarching culture that he desires for us, that he knows reflects his heart and that we thrive in of how we care for one another, recognizing the Imago Dei in one another, treating how we're to treat his creation, um, to Mm -hmm. treat one another, to treat him, um, and to be present with our own hearts. And that's why I say when you ask about, you know, what's your favorite country, every country I go to, I can see some reflection of that super culture. And sometimes in ways that I long to be able to live more fully here. And I also, and I'm very happy to be an American, I love my home, but I hold my nationality identity loosely because 
I can see that we, along with every nation, every tribe, every tongue, has something on this side of heaven that that reflects that supraculture of how God's holy family rolls. How do they connect? How do they love? How do they enjoy one another, honor one another, and fulfill their, their unique roles? And I can see ways that as humans, we have worked really hard to try to just survive. And our survival skills, apart from him, usually are fairly destructive. Wow. I think I need to do another interview with you and another story so we can <laughs> You and I just need to go this. to coffee for like a week. <laughs> I love I love it. This is this is so cool. And listening, you know, it's it's so funny because we're here in America where it's safe and secure, really, truly, even in these weird times that we live in. And there are times I consciously have to remind myself that the same God who loves and created me loves and created those people who are living in poverty in third world yes. countries that have literally nothing. And that are in extreme peril mm-hmm. in ways. And honestly, I, I said this to a lovely, sweet group of ladies in a Bible study um, a couple years ago um, when there was violence that broke out in Kenya at the end of uh, 2007. And when it broke out, it broke along tribal lines. Um, it was, and so even Christians, Kenya has been described as the most Christianized culture, you know, country in Africa. Even Christians, when enough pain and strife and fear and shortage comes, where does your identity come into play? And so if we have not brought the gospel into the deepest parts of our identity and heart, we are always just moments away from the same kind of tip over. Wow. Well, I have to interrupt. I am so sorry. Folks, um, if you want to read more about Katie and her travels, you you can read her story in our current issue of Christian Living Magazine, which is available in over 600 locations throughout southwestern, south central, and southern Idaho, or read it online at christianlivingmag.com. This brings our time to an end this week. Kathy, this has been so good. Can you... Can you join us next week? Absolutely. I, I'd be honored. Gay, can you stay? I definitely will be available. I'd love it. Thank you so much, folks. We invite you back for part two next week. Thank you so much. And until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout the Treasure and Magic Valleys and in Central Idaho through McCall. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.